Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war face of unprecedented challenges brought about by the global pandemic, nurses have emerged as true heroes on the front lines. Their unwavering commitment to patient care and their tireless efforts to save lives have been nothing short of extraordinary. However, amidst these trying times, there have been a small number of nurses who have taken a bold stance by speaking out against COVID-19 mandates and protocols. These healthcare professionals are not merely dissenting voices. They are advocates for critical thinking and individual rights within the medical field. They believe that while some precautions may be necessary to combat the virus effectively, many of these mandates and protocols are not only infringing upon personal freedoms and professional autonomy, but they are just flat out bad medicine. By voicing their concerns and challenging the prevailing narratives surrounding COVID-19 measures, these nurses are speaking important conversations about the balance between public health and personal liberties. They bring attention to potential unintended consequences of strict mandates and protocols that may impact patient care or compromise ethical principles. Their actions should not be dismissed as mere rebellion. Rather, they exemplify a deep-rooted passion for patient-centered care and evidence-based decision-making. These brave individuals understand that open dialogue is crucial in shaping effective healthcare policies that prioritize both safety and individual rights. While their viewpoints may be contentious within the medical community itself, it is important to recognize that diversity of thought drives progress. By encouraging civil discourse around COVID-19 mandates and protocols, we can foster an environment where different perspectives are valued and ultimately lead to improved patient outcomes. The nurses who have spoken out against these COVID-19 mandates deserve our admiration for their courage in challenging the status quo, not our scorn. Their advocacy serves as a reminder that even in times of crisis, it is essential to uphold the principles of ethical nursing practice. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you're able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Joining me today is Nurse Nicole, a passionate and experienced acute care bedside nurse with nearly 18 years of dedicated service. Specializing in cardiac care, 
She has made a significant impact across multiple hospital systems in Central Florida. In 2020, Nurse Nicole found her voice and courageously began speaking up amidst the wave of mandates that were being implemented. Standing strong in her convictions, she became one of 2,000 employees who was set to be fired for failure to comply with COVID-19 vaccination policies. At the 11th hour, she was able to obtain a religious exemption, allowing her to continue working as a nurse. During a contentious time when many chose to keep their heads down and toe the line, Nicole fearlessly advocated for the rights and well-being of both patients and healthcare professionals alike. Nicole has become a powerful voice in the conversation surrounding unconstitutional vaccine mandates. She courageously sheds lights on the protocol still in use within the hospital setting and advocates for alternative approaches that prioritize individual rights and freedoms. She fearlessly speaks up about the experiences and struggles faced by the vaccine-injured patients, bringing awareness to their unique needs and challenges. Through her unwavering dedication and her personal journey, Nurse Nicole continues to inspire others and make a positive impact on the healthcare landscape. Her commitment to upholding individual rights and advocating for the well-being of both patients and healthcare professionals sets her apart as a remarkable and influential figure in the field. Nurse Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Kim. Absolutely. I'm so glad to have you on. So I um, I became familiar with your story. I saw your interview on uh, CHD, on the CHD bus. And, you know, as I was listening to this story, it really resonated with me because it sounded so similar to my own. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity to just kind of tell me what inspired you to speak up against the mandates and protocols and kind of what you were seeing at the bedside in early, you know, take us back to early 2020. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Um, again, everything that I say is to my own accord. It does not represent anything um, that I've done in the past with past employers or my present employers. Um, I just want to make sure I make that very clear. These are my personal um, experiences. I, again, like you said, with that wonderful introduction, um, have been a nurse uh, roughly 18 years in the acute care setting, predominantly working in the cardiac field uh, across various hospital systems in Central Florida. In 2020, I worked at a very large hospital in Central Florida that, um, you know, experienced uh, in the fall quite a wave of patients that came to us um, with these respiratory symptoms. And, you know, prior to that was being told that we were going to have to um, start thinking about what we were going to do in the profession related to the vaccine that was coming out, that they were saying that we had no choice but to get the vaccine or we would not be able to continue working. Um, what I think is important to stress is that this set a cascade of events in an already very broken healthcare system uh, that put a lot of people in really tight situations to not really feel like they had much choice. And we saw the aftermath of this when people started to leave because they didn't feel comfortable what was what was happening in the hospital system related to, you know, poor staffing, the fact that we didn't have enough supplies to take care of patients or otherwise known as PPE. And, um, you know, knowing that we had this vaccine requirement that we were basically being coerced and threatened with, and that if we didn't move forward with this, that we were no longer going to be able to work. 
during a time when so many people had been let go, furloughed, um, and not really quite sure where their future was going to go, especially in healthcare, as there was a lot of um, stress, anxiety, depression, um, and a lot of mental health issues that we were seeing as well amongst the staff due to the poor working conditions that we were put in. And so around the fall of 2020, we were told, you know, that if we didn't uh, get this vaccine, we weren't going to be able to work. And so once I started to see the coercion and just basically what was being said to us in the hospital setting as staff who had been working months um, on the front lines, you know, once a hero now to zero, if we didn't comply with this vaccine mandate, that um, we would be removed from the profession, essentially. And so, you know, um, had some really difficult conversations uh, with my spouse and you know, really had to sit with it and decided, you know, no matter what, at this point, I didn't feel comfortable with how this was being presented, how we were constantly being made to feel we were less than or not a team player, or we would be part of the issue um, in the actual COVID response if we did not get vaccinated and took a stance to not get vaccinated. And with that came a lot of backlash, a lot of critical um uh, you know, backlash. And, and we had to make some decisions kind of last minute. And we were about 2000 at the hospital that I was at in numbers uh, across the healthcare uh, system that we had there that were not going to get vaccinated. And I think once the hospital system realized such a big number, when we already had such shortages at the bedside and other um, procedural areas, you know, that they were kind of on the fence what to do. And around December is when the governor, uh, Governor DeSantis, came out and was, uh, you know, offering these exemptions to us. So instead of being 100% compliant, getting an actual vaccine, the hospitals could, quote unquote, work around this by also including a medical or religious exemption, if you will. And then it became kind of um, the policy that in order to receive 100% compliance, you had to have X amount of people vaccinated and or have a religious or medical exemption. Um, and so, so for the most part, the religious exemptions were welcomed. Um, we had a lot of people apply. You know, the questions that were asked were extremely inappropriate. You know, nobody should really be made to, to say why they want or don't want something put into their body. But that was part of the game you had to play um, essentially is to answer all these inappropriate questions um, for then a third party to subjectively decide if they were going to take your religious exemption, um, which was affiliated with the hospital system that you were working at at the time. And so some people had to apply multiple times because they got their religious exemptions denied. We had people that truly had medical reasons, you know, women that were pregnant, planning to become pregnant, you know, uh, tons of individuals with autoimmune diseases, um, you know, and people that really just did not feel comfortable and kept getting their medical exemptions denied. Um, physicians were really being crucified and put on a really tight rope uh, to not write medical exemptions. And so it just created more of a divide, you know, um, where there were so many people that were getting vac vaccinated because that was, quote unquote, the right thing to do. And then, you know, there's this other half of people who, you know, wanted to get the exemption um, and had problems with that. And then 
And there was this small, small, small percentage that wasn't going to do anything and they were let go. Um, if they did not meet criteria by a certain date, you were automatically terminated. Um, and what I think one of the saddest things was, you know, we had people that had gotten vaccinated, but did not want to get vaccinated again because they had had adverse reactions or, you know, just didn't feel right about it. And unfortunately, if they also did not get the second dose by a certain date, they were also terminated um, and they did not have the same exemptions uh, offered to them at that time. So that was really the big issues and things that, you know, I was seeing in the hospital in 2020 on top of what most of us already know with the COVID, um, you know, being rampant and, you know, the hospital being overrun with tons of patients because of, you know, these respiratory symptoms and lack of staff. And then, of course, the protocols um, that we were seeing at that time and questioning their validity and, and how accurate these were actually working in favor for patients related to venting, proning, using remdesivir and the likes of that. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. Now, when you came into this kind of, if you're like me, you kind of find yourself really being thrust into uh, this situation of, of I've been, you know, an advocate my entire career, but this is something completely different. Did you come into this um, with a position of being anti-vax at all in general? So I will say in general, um, I will say no. And here's, and here's why I, do believe medicine has a place. I do believe that there's a lot of good things that we do in medicine that I just don't want to completely take off the table. Knowing what I know now, obviously, I feel very differently about that because I, I know that sometimes we are not given all of the information or what we like to call informed consent, even as healthcare workers. Um, you know, there's tons of situations where we might not necessarily be giving complete unbiased informed consent, whether we know it or not. And so I did not think that certain, you know, vaccines in general were, you know, not a great thing. However, the reason I think um, I was more on the fence about it is because I've always believed in bodily sovereignty. I think it's so important that in healthcare, when you go into this field, you took an oath to do no harm. And we work with such a diverse group of people who don't necessarily believe the same things we do. They have different cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, you know, all kinds of things. And, and we're supposed to go into this open-minded and as advocates, people that are there to unbiasedly take care of you with genuine compassion and empathy. And so I worked on a transplant unit for six years that ended up going um, two and a half, you know, towards the the last two and a half years that I worked was in the transplant field um, during COVID. And unfortunately, to get a transplant, you have to be vaccinated. So time and time again, we had people that were on the waiting list that if you wanted to even be considered, there were so many things that had to happen for you to qualify. And one of them was you had to be up to date with your vaccines. And that there was no exception. The surgeons were very adamant that in order to receive an organ, they wanted to take no chances that somebody would contract some sort of preventable disease, if you will. And so they were constantly having us vaccinate patients to get them up to speed with their, their shots as an adult. And so it, that was something we saw quite a bit of. Um, 
and I saw what it was like when certain individuals did not want to comply. And this was even prior to COVID vaccines and they were not considered for a transplant. So then when the vaccines came out and we were realizing, you know, that there were so many questionable outcomes that we saw with patients and staff who were vaccinated, there was a lot of concerns that we raised on the unit that I worked on that, you know, we just didn't think it was a good idea that such immunocompromised patients would be getting this experimental vaccine that we had packets that we would print out uh, to give to them as part of the system that said, you know, listen, we don't know what this vaccine can do. The inserts of the vaccines were blank. Um, We had no informed consent to give them. And, you know, here's where you sign to agree that you're willing to take it and that no one is responsible. And if there's any problems, you just report it to the VAERS system and you will not get your second shot in the hospital, only the first. And so we were seeing this being pumped into our transplant communities because, again, they're considered immunocompromised and, you know, they did not want them to get bad cases of COVID, which, again, you know, we know also happened to a lot of people. Um, but that's maybe we'll get to that. So, you know, they got these vaccines and then we started to see that they just weren't doing well. You know, they, they weren't healthy enough to fight off other infections. And, you know, they really struggled with wanting to move forward with the transplant because so many did not want to get the COVID vaccine, but they knew in order to meet criteria, you had to have it. So it was a really big, um, you know, struggle uh, that I had ethically to put such pressure on an individual, literally as life and death to receive a transplant, but totally take them off the table um, if they were not willing to do the COVID-19 vaccine. It was so it was so cruel to watch that type of thing happening. And as nurses, you know, I agree with you, you know, autonomy is one of the guiding principles of ethical nursing. And we were throwing that out the window. We, you know, autonomy is giving our patients all of the information, all of the education. And then despite what our personal beliefs may be, we are supporting their decision 100%. That is autonomy. And that is just one of uh, the guiding principles of ethical nursing. And like so many other of those guiding principles, unfortunately, they seem to, you know, just be thrown by the wayside uh, during COVID. It was really, really unfortunate. And to your point about the um, giving these vaccines to immune compromised patients, since when do we do that, right? Exactly. exactly. We always have heard that. That never made sense to me. I had, we had a case here in Tennessee uh, of a six month old baby, uh, baby August. He was on the uh, list for heart transplant and they were denying the six month old baby the heart transplant unless he was to catch up on all of the vaccines. I mean, the child didn't even have a spleen. You know, it was, it was the most absurd thing I'd ever heard. All you hear them talk about all of these years, right, is that we have to do our part for those who can't get vaccinated because they're immune compromised. That was why they were pushing all of us to supposedly get this vaccine. Yeah, they're making these immune compromised patients. And it's things like that, Nicole, that just didn't make sense. And it had me questioning everything. But, you know, like you, I didn't really question the um, the childhood immunizations at all. Um, unfortunately, and as you know, as nurses, we don't receive really any education on vaccines other than safe, effective, and necessary. Correct. 
that's it, right? We don't receive any, it's something that we all have just implicitly trusted, nurses, doctors, all of that. We've just implicitly trusted for myself. I just assumed, you know, this is not my area of expertise, but I assumed that those in that realm were doing their due diligence. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong. Right. And I think that was one of the things too, that really sparked that gut feeling that you have where you just kind of come in contact with something that makes you feel so out of touch with what you just don't feel right. And I kept seeing time and time again, that anytime anyone questioned the vaccines or what we were doing in the hospital, you were met with such vile and just inappropriate, unprofessional behavior. I mean, people that I trusted my life with that I have worked alongside for years, I have never had any problems with, had just turned into these absolute monsters that you could not question science when since the beginning of time, that is the whole point of what we do is to ensure that we give the best medicine and the best practice, the evidence-based practice medicine to our patients to ensure that we are doing no harm. And if we see something, you're supposed to say something. And it created a culture that if you stood up and you spoke up, you were immediately silenced. We were segregated. I mean, I've said this before on other podcasts, but, you know, and again, I just, it's so important. I worked with a world-renowned surgeon, cardiac, a transplant surgeon who was a, he's a brilliant surgeon. Um, and he, you know, just really loved his patients. I took care of them and, you know, never had any problems. And and one day he came and he sat next to me and he asked me if I had gotten my COVID vaccine. And I didn't say anything because I knew the stance that he had. I knew that we were not going to agree. And my silence was the compliance with the fact that I didn't. And he immediately showed himself out in front of 20 patients and family members stood up from the desk, slammed his head, hands on the desk, you know, telling me that, you know, I don't deserve to work. I shouldn't be a nurse. He doesn't, he's going to report me so that I can't take care of his patients, that I think this is a joke. He's going to take me to the ECMO unit to see, you know, this, this 29 year old, 28 year old woman who had just had to have her baby emergently delivered early because she had had COVID and, you know, that I, I should take this more seriously. And I'm such, you know, I'm supposed to be such a brilliant nurse and he's had so much respect for me, but now it's just out the window because clearly I don't believe in science and I'm anti-vax. And I said, sir, first of all, we're not doing this here. And second of all, I really am disappointed that that's the conversation you chose to have right now and in front of everybody. Now, all of that to be said, I ended up getting the 28 year old woman from post ECMO. And what I, what I want to share that I don't think I've been able to share prior to put it together was she was from a different city um, and she was an asthmatic and she was in her third trimester. She went to the emergency room with COVID symptoms. Now, how do I know this? Because she was, uh, we have records in the hospital. And if if you go to different facilities, we can see sometimes within the system uh, where you've been prior. So what he failed to mention to me was, is that prior to her being airlifted to our hospital and put on ECMO, which is a life-saving machine, if you will, and emergently delivered her baby, two days prior to that, she's tried to seek treatment at a local emergency department and was turned away, was, was turned away with an antibiotic, pregnant, 
third trimester, asthmatic and in her late 20s and sent home and where two days later she went into full-blown respiratory distress and had to be airlifted to our hospital. I want people to understand that we have encountered, and this is what happened, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, over and over and over again. When people talk about, you know, COVID is real or not real, or, you know, there's long haul COVID, people were sick, but people were not being treated appropriately. We did not do preventative care. We did not take it as seriously as we should have. I think there was reasons why we maybe kind of shot ourselves in the foot and did not admit people maybe when we should have. I think there was this fear that we were going to overadmit and and really not have room in hospitals when we needed it. But so many people that we can see in their records that is as plain as day that had really bad COVID had at some point prior tried to seek treatment and were turned away because they were not sick enough. And by the time they came back, because we were told in the beginning of the pandemic, don't come to the hospital unless you can't breathe, which we've never done in the history of medicine. Uh, these people took that literally. And by the time they came, they were so badly decompensated that at that point, we had no staff. The ERs were overrun. We had to immediately you know, end up intubating these patients and then put them on these, these protocols that we know are not working. So it's like, th- these are the trends that we saw. And she happened to be one of them. Now, had she maybe been admitted to her hospital and taken seriously and any even just monitored because she was three, you know, in her third trimester pregnant as an asthmatic, maybe she could have avoided being put on ECMO. But he used that as a tool to throw in my face to, to say that I wasn't taking this seriously. Um, and this is the kind of bullying tactics that we saw. We saw this behavior and this, this vile culture that came out of people and was never corrected. It was allowed. It was never, um, you know, put in check, if you will. And so people like myself who had a different point of view were constantly targeted, constantly made to feel that you weren't a team player. You didn't belong. We were constantly segregated. We couldn't go to meetings. You had to be on zoom. You know, we're not allowed to eat in this break room because you know, we don't want to mix and mingle if you're not vaccinated. Like the things that you saw, and the culture of what happened in the hospital systems was just absolutely disgusting um, and just really unfortunate. And so I think it's really important that people hear that part too, because there's always questions that people bring up and, you know, and they say that you try to explain as best you can, but unless you were there working in it, it was so much more deep than what is being said in the media and, and other people that maybe have come forward. Um, you know, we did a disservice to our communities by not treating them with a preventative medicine like we sh- oh, should have. And it's huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and it just avoided, it could, we could have avoided so many deaths and, um, you know, done a, done a lot better. And obviously looking back, we could say what if, but, you know, people need to understand that there were so many of us that saw this happening in real time and were speaking up and either immediately terminated, segregated, silenced, whatever you want to say. Um, and, and, you know, now it's like, well, why do you, why are you coming out now? And why are all these people speaking out now? It's because we were put in positions where you lost everything. You know, doctors are losing their licenses. They're being removed from their practices. Nurses are being targeted. I mean, most people don't know, but, you know, I am one of the American frontline nurses as well. And, you know, we did a lot of work underground to help people and and be present for situations that 
regular traditional medicine would not do. And, you know, that is crucified by many, many people who felt that that was inappropriate or not the right thing to do. Um, but people needed unbiased care. They needed people to, to be able to come to and feel safe and, and be able to get the right things. Um, in addition to many other organizations and groups at that time that were also trying to help people. But, you know, we were, we were out there trying to help people that traditional medicine turned away. And, um, you know, again, just going back to how much we, we created a disservice to our communities and now the backlash that we're feeling as in nobody really trusts us. You know, the communities do not think that healthcare is trustworthy, rightfully so. We've, we've lost that trust. And, um, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to get back to that point, but, you know, there's so many of us that stayed to try to do the right thing. And one of the recent things that I've gotten a lot of backlash for was, you know, if you've stayed and you're still in it, you're part of the problem, you know, and I get, there's a lot of backlash for that saying that, you know, if you knowingly knew what was going on and you didn't leave, you know, um, what does that make you? And I don't, think that, I don't think that's necessarily true because I mean, if you were there and you didn't speak out, but you were there, you stayed, you spoke out, you still, exactly. you spoke out. So if you're not putting your head down, you know, uh, and, and placing that paycheck over right. patient rights and safety, I could understand that. But if you're in, and we need nurses inside the system, as much as I say all the time that I would like to, you know, I'm working really, really hard and, and tirelessly to try to build alternatives to the mainstream system. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are always right. going to be people that have no choice but to go into right. this main system and thank god that we have nurses like you nicole that are in there because we're going to need good nurses we're going to need nurses who aren't afraid uh to stand up and speak out and advocate because can you imagine to me it's frightening to think about right. and we're almost there we're almost to the point where there are nurses who are too afraid to ask a question of a physician who are too afraid to question right. authority or an order I, you've been a nurse a long time. I've been in healthcare. Uh, I've been a nurse for a while. I've been in healthcare for nearly 30 years. And I can tell you there have been many times where I have had to question an order that if I didn't question that, my my patient could potentially uh, have been injured or worse. Right. It could have, the outcome could have been fatal had I not intervened, had I not been a critical thinker. And, you know, as nurses, we are literally, you know, we're hardwired to think critically and to ask questions, not to just blindly follow the science, you know, right. and again, if we were following that, uh, if we were following actual science during this, then we wouldn't have been ignoring natural immunity the entire time exactly. for all of these nurses and healthcare workers who had already had COVID and had right. natural immunity. So it was really ridiculous to, um, you know, from, from Gem Street. But we we have so much more to dig into. We're going to come up on a break, but when we get back, we'll we'll get right back into it. Perfect. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa, 24-7, great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate. 
including a sea of redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. We'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out AmericaOutloud.shop. Look for ASEA cell signaling molecules liquid supplement and check out nurse michelle's recent favorite asia product renew 28 revitalizing redox gel because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when i broke my hip give it a try for your aches and pains and let nurses out loud hear how your health has improved We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with Nurse Nicole, who has been an absolute warrior in the fight, standing for her patients and advocating for our profession. Nurse Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So yeah, we talked a lot about in the first half of the show um, 
a, a lot about what you saw at the bedside. And it was really, really similar to what I was seeing in the ICU. I think, and, and just in, in the short break, as you and I were talking, we talked about how we saw this, this shift that happened inside the profession that was literally almost um, right. overnight with right. people that we have worked with for decades and we had good relationships with. And it was as if everything, everybody had just kind of lost their collective minds. And there was a, like one or two of us that just, you know, were feeling like we were somehow in like the twilight zone meets groundhog right. day. I mean, it's, it's like you either had eyes to see and ears to hear or you didn't. Exactly. And that was one of the biggest things, you know, like I said, it just, it shifted overnight where, you know, we were this collective unit then turned this divisive, you know, vile culture of just trying to survive because you were no longer welcomed or seen as a um, equal partner in this uh, workforce because you chose differently or thought differently. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up what we were saying prior, you know, um, to get the backlash that if you stayed in healthcare, that you were part of the problem, you know, really, I just want to make sure people understand that if every single person that cared um, or was unbiased, you know, to, to be there to protect you, to advocate for your rights, if all of those people left, you know, what you would have been left with would have been something unrecognizable. Um, and not to say that, you know, we're these, you know, nursing, you know, the savior complex or anything like that, but genuinely, understanding that the, the people that stayed back who have spoken out have paid for it dearly. Um, I would do it again and again and again, because that's what I was made for. This is, you know, I was made for a time such as this. I firmly believe that God does not make mistakes and that I was, this chose me. I did not seek this out. I would have rather it just been easy and just go on with it. But that was not the the path that God chose for me. So to be there and to advocate for these patients, to, to protect them when they weren't allowed to have family present, when they weren't able or in their right mind because they were so sick, um, you know, how important that was to be able to come in regardless of my beliefs, how I felt, any of that, um, that their rights and what they wanted or didn't want was my priority to make happen and to ensure that no one that came in that room was going to bully them or make them decide differently without their consent and making sure that they had informed consent. So that is one of the biggest things, you know, that I hope others take away, um, at least for me and, and, you know, many others that stayed, that was our mission is to, to stand and advocate. You know, we took that oath to protect people. Um, and a lot of us did just that. So, well, I, mean, I just want to say how grateful I am, Nicole, for, for nurses like you, who you had the discernment to see what was happening, but then you also had the strength and conviction to stay behind in an environment that was truly toxic. I mean, and this is, this is an environment that's been, uh, you know, we've not right. long kind of known as a toxic profession, but this took it to a whole other level, uh, but that you had the, the strength of character to withstand all of that. Um, I applaud you and I'm so grateful for everything that you've done, um, in this and for, for patients and for our profession, which, um, is we, we have a long way to go to restoring that trust um, and, and restoring that nurse patient relationship again. But I know with nurses like you at the bedside, uh, we, we are, we are going to get there. Um, 
But so how I was connected with you after I heard your interview is I reached out immediately. I heard you were in uh, the Florida, Central Florida area, and I, I reached out to uh, Laura Hartman. Uh, it was an incredible nurse, a uh, veteran, an yes. incredible nurse. Um, just absolutely adore her. I, I said, I will bet dollars to donuts that Laura Hartman knows <laughs> this nurse. Yes, she does. She, I love her. We've worked together um, on a couple of things, and she is one of the most kind, pure human being you will ever meet. Yes, <laughs> she is. And she does a lot of work um, in uh, the, the legislature over there with, and, yes. and focusing on laws that are happening. So I think I think that's something also that you're involved in. So if you kind of give us a quick update on what are we doing as far from a legal standpoint, and are we getting any laws on the books in Florida that are going to protect patients and protect healthcare workers? Absolutely. So this year, SB S is in Sam, B is in boy. Uh, so Senate Bill 252 in Florida was passed by the governor, um, which basically protects private and um, public entities from mandating COVID-19 vaccines, emergency use authorization vaccines, and mRNA vaccines. Where it sounds absolutely wonderful, it does have a lot of loopholes in the bill. So it was a good start to protect Floridians against discrimination, which many people are still facing. It also covers, you know, the, the lack of mac mask mandates, travel, um, you know, the passports and, um, you know, and making sure that you are not discriminated against when it comes to your job or where you choose to worship or go to school, travel, etc. So we're trying to amend parts of that bill because there are things in it that need to be addressed. What I think is important that people realize is that if you can get involved in your local government, if you can start local and know who your constituents are and, and be involved so you know what's happening around you. Times are changing. There's a lot of things going on that have stemmed from the pandemic related to safety and security and your rights. People need to understand that people are making decisions about everything that you um, do in, in, in your communities uh, without your knowledge. And so you want to be a part of your local communities to know what's happening in politics. It's not everybody's jam. I definitely did not sign up for this. But again, this is this is what comes with the territory. If you want to keep your rights and you don't want to lose that bodily sovereignty and, and just various things that are going on around you, you want to get involved. So another bill that we have is um, Senate Bill 680-2024, which is a bill that we're trying to get past this session that basically says anybody that has a product on the market that um, is you know, emergency use authorization or not, if there is some sort of clause in it that they are not held liable if something was to harm you with that product, whether it's a medication or a vaccine, that this bill will now make it so that they are liable uh, or you're not able to, to be forced to take it, if you will. Um, it's trying to cover all vaccinations and any other products that could potentially be put out there that don't give you an option to choose. This is a bill that would would eliminate that, if you will. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort. There's a lot of people working behind the scenes, multiple grassroots organizations. We are Change Orlando with Justin Harvey. I work with him quite a bit. I love Florida. Justin. I know. He's amazing. Florida Freedom Keepers. We've got Health Freedom Florida, um, Stand for Freedom, you know, uh, uh, organization as well, and so many others that are working behind the scenes to ensure that Floridians have rights and it's a right to go with something or not. A lot of people say that we're anti-vax and anti-science. Listen, we just want to make sure that everybody has the right to choose. We exactly. want to make sure that bodily sovereignty is, is preserved. 
And, and whether you agree with us or not, we're still fighting for your right to make sure that no matter what decisions you're, make, you're making, you're not treated less than, uh, because that is important that everyone has the same equal opportunities, regardless of what your beliefs are. And also, too, being given the opportunity to not be, um, you know, with work and where you go to school, people don't realize pediatricians are allowed to turn away children if their parents decide not to vaccinate them. There's private schools that will not take students in with religious exemptions, and that includes Catholic schools. They will deny your entrance. They will not take you. And let's understand why that why that is. It's because they're financially incentivized to keep their practice at exactly. a certain percentage um, vaccinated and, and, and in compliance with that CDC schedule. And if they're not, exactly. they lose money to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's why I always tell parents, please do your own independent research. You can't even trust exactly. these physicians because unfortunately, uh, they are pretty much bought and paid for by big pharma. And these are things that even, you know, prior to all of this, I didn't realize much of this. Exactly. You know, I, right. I, I, I didn't. And no. it's, it's something I, I'm processing as a nurse. You know, I didn't come into this fight anti-vax, but I will tell you that I'm leaving that way because I've right. actually now taken the time to do the research and you know i want to touch on that uh, on vaccine injury because um we we have seen so much of this i was seeing injury vaccine injury at the bedside early on in the rollout and i cannot believe that we are here nearly three years later i think there's we're up to i, I don't know what open vera says now i think it's 2.5 million reports of injuries right. of death and we are now on our i don't know seventh booster you know, despite right. the obvious harm, we're now we're injecting babies as young as six years old. And don't even get me going on giving it to the pregnant women and, and, and all of that. But what did you see as far as vaccine injury and uh, what what is uh, happening in your area? Are there any resources for the vaccine injured? So I have a unique position in the fact that currently I work with uh, heart attack, STEMI data, and STEMIs, um, you know, working with patients that are coming in with heart attacks. And I see the data front and center, who's vaccinated, yeah. who's not as many as seven boosters, as you just said, as little as two, um, you know, coming in and large percentages are heavily vaccinated, having heart attacks. What's important too is, you know, early on these vaccines that were being given, we saw as young as 19 years old that were getting them. I know some patients that were, had gotten four vaccines in a year, never have heard that in my life, um, that they were getting vaccinated multiple times. You know, as professionals, we should have asked patients, we should have had them provide data to us to make sure that we weren't over vaccinating. But the system in the hospital with, with certain programs are flagging every so many months due to the poor efficacy of these vaccines we're flagging for the patients to be revaccinated. I don't think people realize that is that early on we saw those efficacy rates so low that even our systems were flagging that they needed to be vaccinated multiple times. And we started to see them coming in with, you know, cardio, uh, cardiomyopathy, myocarditis, pericarditis. I, I saw atrial fibrillation, blood clots, strokes are heavily on the rise, heart attacks heavily on the rise. And for our vaccine injured, to really know that we are fighting with the government in Florida right now, because one of the things that DeSantis said that they would do a year ago at the round table that I was present for when he spoke and um, had Michelle Utter on, who's one of the vaccine injured nurses in central Florida that I have become very good friends with, you know, was promising that the vaccine injured would have resources provided to them 
We still have not seen that. We are still really working to figure out what that looks like, but also to ensuring people that, you know, we're not we're not here to gaslight these individuals. We're not here to make their stories less than because we don't agree with them. And one of the things that's really frustrating is just understanding that constantly they're up against a system that's already broken and now having to rely on it because they're sick and they're vaccine injured and people that are not being kind or understanding and taking advantage of that. And how many people are interviewed and spoken to and kind of put out there, you know, and then nothing is done for them. And so we're really trying to work with our government to ensure that they have resources or, you know, funding that's set up to help them because a lot of physicians won't treat them because they're afraid of getting the backlash or having to sign documents that say that they're vaccine injured and putting their name on it. So even almost four years later, you know, certain places will not take these patients. They will not treat them. You know, they don't want to be associated with the vaccine injured individuals and they're traveling great distances to get care. That is unacceptable. Acceptable. That is not supposed to be how we treat our, our our patients. And, you know, we put them in this position. You know, everyone says that, you know, you had a choice. Well, some people had different choices than others. And we are not to judge them any differently. That's my personal stance. I will stand by that. I am no superior because I chose not to vaccinate. These individuals had to make very difficult decisions. And some of them willing willingly took it with no problem. But that doesn't mean that we treat them unkindly or that they're less than. And they deserve to be treated when it when it comes to health care, making sure that they get what they need. You know, we don't turn away alcoholics or drug addicts. You know, we don't sit there and judge them because of their life choices. The same for these individuals. And I really hope that people become more open-minded and understand that you may not agree with everything, but we still have to come together because we cannot move forward if we're constantly divided in this aspect. Um, and that's just really the message I really hope that we can put out there is that we're all fighting really difficult battles, some differently, you know, some more severe than others. And, um, you know, we can't do this without each other. And the, the, the division is constantly putting us back to where we can't move forward as a society we don't know what's going to come in 2024. We hope it's really positive, but, you know, we don't know. And so this is the only opportunity we have is the present and, and making sure that you know that health, not all people in healthcare are bad, that we really are trying and that we have a lot of people hurt all around us that have really, really sad stories. They've lost family members and um, or, or have lifelong illnesses now and um, they need help. We need to come together. So you know, that's one of the big takeaways that I hope we come out of this podcast for today. Absolutely. And I, I could not agree with you more. And, and you know, that's one of the big reasons and one of the driving reasons that I started Remnant Nursing um, was because, you know, I had started Nurse Freedom Network just to, for the advocacy component. But beyond that, you know, I did it for two reasons. And I knew that I wanted to create opportunities for nurses who were ready to come out of this broken system and right. didn't feel like they had a choice. So that was, you know, one aspect. And then, but simultaneously, we are also providing care. We exist to provide compassionate care for the vaccine injured, you know, many of whom have, like, as you mentioned, have all but been abandoned by their medical community. They don't have anywhere to go. Right. They're being gaslit, they're being bullied. Um, they don't, and they have to, as you said, rely on a system that really injured them. I mean, when you right. think about it. Um, exactly. So, you know, and, and I see that happening. It's the same way that as nurses, you know, I, I've, I talk about this a lot, how as nurses, we tend to compartmentalize. That's just something that we have to do. It's right. a defense mechanism, we a coping mechanism, and we, we have to do that due to the, the high stress nature of our jobs a lot. But 
for decades and probably longer as nurses, we've been complaining about how broken this system is right? With the staffing, yes. with everything. Right. We have constantly been berating the system and talking about how terrible it is and we can't stand it. But then exactly. those same nurses, now they want to just blindly trust the same system that we have already professed, you know, that we have no trust exactly. for, but we're supposed to do this without question, without debate, just blind allegiance to the system that we have professed not to trust for decades. And that never made sense to me either. Right. And, you know, one of the things that catapulted how I looked at things was, you know, I went into a program for legal nurse consulting and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to be put in a position where I'm going to have to work for myself one day, you know, I want to make it count. I want to be able to help individuals that may have been wronged. And, you know, there's so many good things that came from this pandemic. I know it's kind of weird to say, but, it's you true. know, there was so many things that came from this that put people um, in different positions that they never thought that they were going to be. And, you know, looking back at it, I think some people really think, you know, wow, at that time, I was losing absolutely everything. I had lost friends and family, you know, jobs, pensions, whatever you want to call it. Um, and just really seeing this dark, abysmal time. And then you look and you fast forward. And some people were like, it was really the best thing that could have happened to me, because it made me love deeper, question things, you know, put myself out there possibly to, to think differently. And it really woke a lot of people up and especially in nursing, you know, in healthcare, you know, nobody goes into this going today, I'm going to, is going to be the day that I hurt somebody. You know, we don't go into it like that. We don't go into it purposely not knowing that what some of the things we might be doing is causing harm because that's just not what we're taught. We don't think like that, but then looking at it, you're like, well, wow, this probably could have been done differently. So you know, it really opened a lot of people's hearts and minds up. And I think, um, you know, moving forward, it's put a different perspective on how we do things. And for me, you know, it will be my life's mission. I will not stop. There's nothing anybody can say or do to me that's going to make me back down. Um, I took that oath. I have dedicated almost two decades to this. You know, we are only getting started. I really, really want to be somebody that people can trust and know that, you know, informed consent is important and that no matter what you believe in, um, that you have people willing to go to war to literally make sure that you're safe and protected and that you have the right to say yes or no to something. Um, and that, you know, I'm not going to judge you either way. That's not why I'm here, you know, and that, no, I know a lot of people are not like that. And I know you've met people in healthcare that are just not good human beings. Um, but they don't represent all of us, you know, and that um, we we are really still out here fighting so, so hard for so many people, even the people that have threatened us, wished us harm, you know, wanted us removed from the profession, you know, try to dig and find things to, to hurt us with. Um, none of it matters. You know, that's that's not who we're trying to fight against. Um, it's the system in general, you know, just making sure that people speak up enough and make people aware of what your rights are. You have the right to decline. You have the right to ask questions. You have the right to a second opinion. You don't have to do anything you don't feel comfortable with. And if somebody tells you otherwise, you go somewhere else. Um, regardless of, of what, what the outcome is, don't ever do something you don't feel comfortable with. Um, because unfortunately it does have consequences. And just like anything, you know, when I chose not to take the vaccine, I was met with, well, if you get COVID or this and that, you know, and you die, well, I mean, 
I could die walking outside getting hit by a car. You know, at this point, it's it's really just it is what it is. And that is something that is my personal choice. And I took responsibility. And um, again, you know, it, it shouldn't really interfere with what other people feel that I should be doing or not. Um, and some people are very strong, convicted about that. And we'll let that be known. But again, you know, um, I'm here for those people, too. I mean, if you were coming as a patient, I mean, nobody during the pandemic asked me what my vaccination status was when they were lying in that bed and needed care. Not a single patient, because all they wanted was someone to care for them and be kind to them. So, um, you know, that's really what the, the perspective was for me back then. You didn't ask me what my vaccination status was when you saw me. It was, you know, are you being kind? Are you telling me what's going on? Are you keeping me informed? Are you just being a decent human being? Um, and still to this day, the patients don't care. It's everyone else in management and these organizations and everyone that's making money off of us um, that care, <laughs> you know, not the, exactly. not the baby. I'll tell you, Nicole, so. we, are so, we are so aligned. <laughs> I, you're doing amazing, incredible things. I'm so happy that you are out there uh, fighting the fight in Florida and beyond, really, because you're getting the message out there to the world, um, which I love. And I would love, and we're going to have to connect and, and would love to talk with you more about the work you're doing and how, you know, can we collaborate to work together? This fight is so big. And I, I really think that it takes all of us coming together to to fight this. Um, I don't think it's any one uh, individual, any one organization. I think we really all have to work together um, to make this uh, a, a, this world a better, safer place for those we serve and to really restore that nurse-patient relationship, which is one of my my goals moving forward. Um, but we, I can't believe we're almost out of time. That went by so quickly, but we <laughs> had so much to talk about and we have so much more we could talk about. Um, but I will definitely have you back on because I, I don't think there's any shortage of topics we could dig into. Um, Absolutely. Okay. We've got so much work left to do, girl. So. Man, I'm ready. Like I said, just, you know, like I said, it's so great that you're doing this work. And you, I know you've been doing this a long time. Um, and, you know, the impact that you've had and the resources that you've been able to pull you know, I know I've, I've seen your work. It does not go unnoticed. And, um, you know, so kudos to you, Kim, too, because I know, uh, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, this wasn't easy to put all this together and to get the momentum going and then to keep it going. So, you know, just thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much, Nicole. I appreciate you. All right. Well, that is all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week. Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. And you can also catch the Encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses. This is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember that we are in a war for truth. We're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time and Time!